even if it is a boat parked right over top of it, it takes a picture of it and then releases it right back onto its bed. It's a lot of stress in an already very stressful time. I'm Hunter Jordan. And I'm Colin Blaylock. And welcome to the Great Lakes Experience. This week's episode is brought to you by Hexfly Co. Nets. Handcrafted in Kalamazoo, Michigan, these guys have solved the problem of nets breaking where the handle meets the hoop. Check them out at hexfly.co. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 34. I have with me this week the Kalamazoo River Guide, John Lee. John, how are we doing today? Doing good, man. Doing good. Happy to be here. Good deal. So, first question this is a new thing I'm doing now. Um, what is the biggest piece of life advice or fishing advice, any kind of advice, what's the biggest piece of advice you've received in your life so far? Man, uh, nothing stands out more than the work done. Okay, I like that. That's, uh, that's the best piece of advice I've ever got. Nothing, nothing is going to speak louder than the actual work done yeah you know and the more you put into it the harder you grind yeah and that can shows. be that can be said for it doesn't matter whether it's your daily work life what you're putting in on the water or in the woods or wherever That's it. so to start us off let's kind of i want to hear a little bit about your background where you grew up and how you got into fishing and the outdoors and stuff like that Man, I grew up here. I mean, this is Kalamazoo, Vicksburg's home. Uh, I don't ever remember not having fishing in my life. Okay. My first pole was cane pole, man. That's awesome. Up at the cabin, up uh, up in Baldwin. You know what I mean? Uh, getting drug around by my grandfather, my great uncle. And I mean, there was pauses here and there, you know what I mean? With, you know, starting to get interested in women and, you know, that, that kind of shifted focus. <laughs> uh, yeah. But dude, it was always there, man. It was, uh, um, Something that's honestly dictated my entire life. Yeah. It's, it, it's it's crazy to me how something like as big of a a life event it becomes just from fishing when you were younger with a cane pole. It seems like that's how so many people start out. Yeah. And it's, that's like your life now. It's you make your living off of fishing now. And I think that's really cool that it can stem from just such a small aspect of somebody showing you something when you were just a, a toddler. It absolutely can, man. Yeah. You know, but it was, it was great. I, you know, I grew up fishing all around here. Um, you know, south of Vicksburg, there's, uh, couple of small river systems i started jumping in and you know i used to get dropped off when i was a kid on the kalamazoo and had a john boat with a five horse on the back of it i used to tool around in and you know just chase the smallmouth and then i went up north and 
started working for uh, Baldwin Bait and Tackle. And then pursuing guiding. Yeah. So was working at golf, at at BBT, was that what kind of made you want to start guiding? Did you guide there or did you just help around at the shop? I was a shop guy. I was a shop dude and me and uh, me and a guy named Jory Dirksy, dear friend of mine, incredible angler, incredible guide. Um him and I were just running around. Had a shared drift boat, dude. We were chasing brown trout and trying to scrounge around trips if we could. Um, but we were we were just holding down the shop together. And my my guiding wasn't, you know, gu- guiding to me is a lot more than getting you there and getting you back yeah to me guiding is helping people develop as anglers yeah so you know i wasn't thinking like that back then when i started to get into it i wanted to get into it because of my youthful impatience (laughs) you know i wanted to go and at the time it was magazines i wanted all these beautiful places these gorgeous fish these experiences right I wanted to go and do that. I wanted to see that. And unfortunately, you know, I don't have a trust fund or a helicopter. So I had to figure <laughs> out a way to work my way through it. I was like, well, I'll guide. And then they'll enable me to go and visit these places and see these places. And then while I'm there, I will eventually have my opportunity to fish you know, and then it changed. It changed into, I really like helping people grow as anglers. Yeah. Yeah. That's sweet. I, I really like to hear you say that that's why you like guiding so much is to is to help other people get better at the sport. Because I feel like you look at a lot of people who are just like, who turn it into their... Because to me, I've people have asked me if I've, I've ever thought about guiding before, and I always say no because I'm too afraid that that would turn into something that I would just like lose the spark for it, kind of, because it would be turned – for me personally, I think it's something that would get turned into like your daily 9 to 5, and it just wouldn't be the same. But for you, I think that's sweet because a lot of people, like other guide services, it is – just taking somebody out to catch fish and bringing them back. No, man. I, if, if you, as of right now, you know, helping people develop as anglers and, uh, and then also tying that into conservation yep. with showing people something that they may have never experienced unless they'd hired you. And then introducing them to this whole big thing and how important these places are. Yeah. You know what I mean? I can't tell you how many people I've taken on the Kalamazoo River who were born and raised in Kalamazoo, went to college at Western Michigan University, started their family, moved to Portage, and 
have driven over to Kalamazoo for the past 40, 50 years and never once been on it. That's absurd. And I take out four or five of those trips every single year. And they get to see this place. You know, I get to drop them in those rocks above Comstock there and watch them just bang away at fish. And it's gorgeous. And yeah. they're, they're like, this has been here the entire time. Yeah. Yes. And now I have a person who cares about the Kalamazoo River. Yeah. Another person engaged. Yep. And so if something does happen... I like have a, a whole bunch of people who care. Yeah. That's the biggest part for me too is because it, you can't you, you can't really care for something until you've been on it, been there to appreciate it. Like when I when so when I first moved over to the West Side to go to school at Western, that first my freshman year, I didn't really I didn't really venture outside of campus much, which I should have, but whatever. Um, so then sophomore year I moved into an apartment and I was like, wow, I need a job. So I moved, I dropped my application off at DNR and, um, got hired in there. And then right off the bat, me and, uh, me and cruising, hit it off pretty good. We're, we've been really good friends since I've started there. And, uh, he was the one who took me on the Kalamazoo for the first time and really showed me how sweet it is and kind of how rough that river's actually had it. And it, it, that's a river that really does need more people who do care about it. Absolutely, it does. And as many people that are in Kalamazoo, I mean, it's 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 just a, it's just a fight for clean water, man. Yeah. And it's long. It's ongoing, and the list is long. You know, it doesn't matter where you turn; you can find some sort of something going on, man. Yeah, ongoing for sure because it's been an ongoing fight since just since I got here. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think I'd only been here for a year when when the dam was opened and all the mud, the sludge and the goop yep. came from the the pond and yep. that's still not fully cleaned up yet and then what was it last week? We had the the paper mill spilled in how many gallons? You know, the estimation was, you know, 1,500 to 2,000 gallons of industrial waste water. Um, so realistically, probably more than that. Maybe. Um, you know, a sub pump in the floor overflowed, backed up. The water pushed out into a, a bay, into the parking lot, into a ditch into the Kalamazoo River. It was 1,500 gallons to maybe 2,000 gallons. Maybe it was a little bit more. That really sucks, and that's unacceptable. But the fact of the matter is, every single time it rains hard, a lot more goes into the Kalamazoo River just from the streets of Kalamazoo. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if it hits the streets of Kalamazoo, it's ending up in the river. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. It's, it's probably honestly not doing much worse than what's already been doing just from I'm the rain. I'm not worried about it. Yeah. At all. 
I mean, these fish keep taking a beating. It sucks. It's unacceptable. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, I'm not gonna. Yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna go crazy. On it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm gonna keep informed, and I'm gonna keep passing that information along the best way I can. And uh, yeah, you know, I've been down there. I've seen it. I know what they're talking about. It's. I mean, you can't actually tell anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? They they put in the no contact order as being responsible, as just a... Yeah, saving their skins. Exactly. Yeah. Coming forward immediately. You know what I mean? They, they, I mean, everybody paid attention to what happened to the last people that didn't pay attention. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. So where do you know where the whole situation's at? I mean, this is just adding more on top of the whole the whole dam break situation, I guess. I mean, or oh, do you yeah. do you think this doesn't really compare to that? Oh, uh, no. No, this is this is just a blip, man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the yeah, the entire Kalamazoo River system from the agricultural runoff, you know, if you if you take a look at that D Avenue section and you actually look at it via, like, satellite imaging, you know when that big wall of weed starts on that big flat right there? Yep. That, co- that, that directly lines up with the agricultural field. Okay. Look at it. Right where it starts is where the field starts, and then it goes on the entire distance of the field. Yeah. That's from that runoff. Yep. Those weeds, that's that's what that's from. So it, I mean, you have your agriculture runoff. You have Battle Creek, Kalamazoo. You know, the, the, the poor people in Allegan are really getting the, uh, the brunt of this. Yeah. You know, with the majority of that sediment ending up down there. That yep. huge influx of fish that they had, which caused a major kill. Yeah. Um, you know, and then eventually on down to Lake Michigan. Yeah. You know, it's... That's what, it's the biggest thing I was curious about is how... Because Consumers owns that dam in Allegan, right? Yeah, I believe so. Because I was, I was curious. I thought by the time all that sediment made it down there and started maybe clogging up stuff down there. I thought for sure consumers would throw a fit towards EGLE or Eagle or what is it, Eagle? Yeah, it's going to it's going to take more time for that to Yeah. Yeah, happen. A little bit more time. Yeah. Yeah, it's only been a couple of years. As yeah. That stuff keeps pushing down, pushing down, pushing down, pushing down. It's gotten gross and like Allegan. Yeah. yeah. So now there's there's talk of I know they had like a town hall meeting to pull that dam in Allegan, which probably won't happen for years upon years upon years. But to me, like, yeah, it's cool. Like the dam will be gone to help the river. But at the same time, mm-hmm. it's just going to repeat that process that the section above it just went through, won't it? I mean that's I mean removing a dam ultimately that's what's gonna happen right? Oh yeah yeah there's there's a ton of like mitigation that needs to be handled when it comes to uh, you know the removal of the dam. Uh, 
yeah, take them all out, man. Yeah. Um, there is kind of a catch to that just in my world, and that's I really do not want to see salmon and, and uh, rainbows, man, up in Comstock no. or through downtown Kalamazoo. You know, dude, there's a ton of gravel all through there. Yeah. You know what I mean? All of those fish would be up there, and then they're then the people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Like. That flat right at Merrill Park would get smoked. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. I didn't, I, I've never, that's really never crossed my mind as far as pulling the dams out like that. But that's exactly what would happen. Of course, yeah. And, you know, it would be a major influx of people. And one of the greatest things about the Kalamazoo River to me is, aside from a few friends, man, I got the place myself. Yeah. You know, pretty much day in and day out. I can count on one hand how many other rigs. Those are my friends. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Like, you don't got to worry about other people poaching your stuff. Well, yeah, man, I just like, you know, having... The space, man, being away from people. Yeah. You know. That's the one thing, like, I like fishing below Allegan, but um, it is a pain because you run into so many more people down there because there is steelhead and kings. And then if you, even if you tried to go fish up, the like, a couple of weeks ago when I fished with you, like, we wouldn't be able to go fish up by the dam like that below Allegan. No, God, no. Because <laughs> you'd be getting... No, not if you, not, not unless you put in it, like, 3 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You'd be getting sinkers chucked at you. So, next I'll kind of talk about, um, so obviously you fished up at, um, you fished quite a bit up in the Baldwin area, working at BBT, um, yeah. and you fished, when did you start going up to, like, Lake Superior and Quaminon and, like, your, your northern Michigan escapades? Like, when did you start doing that? Was that just recently? Twelve years ago. Okay, so yeah, you've been doing it for a while. Yeah. So talk about like what the fishing's like up there. I haven't had a chance to go up really much past the bridge to do to do any fishing like that. Like whether it's yeah, smallmouth sure. muskie or northerns or. Yeah. Um. I. I. My first stop is wilderness. Um. The island chain running west out towards, like, Beaver Island, Hog Island, uh, that stuff, straight to Mackinac. Uh, Smallmouth bass and carp. Um, It's gotten better and better every single year. The fish keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, I mean, we're living in the greatest smallmouth bass fishery in the world. Yeah. Hands 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 down. To anywhere else you have smallmouth bass, there's nothing that compares to the Great Lakes and its connecting waterways. Yep. And it won't be long until our smallmouth bass state record eclipses our largemouth bass record. Think so? 100%. That fish already exists. Yeah. Yeah, God yes. Because I've we've had that conversation multiple times, and we get it gets pretty heated on whether or not me and a good buddy think 
I think 100% there's a 10-pound smallmouth that lives in Lake St. Clair, and he says no shot. No shot, huh? Yeah. I 100% believe there's one. So, uh, yeah, no, I've seen schools of 10s. Really? We've caught them. We've caught them. The biggest on a scale that we've ever boated was 13. What? 13. What does a smallmouth that big even look like? <laughs> it's pretty gross, man. It's pretty gross, yeah. Yeah, it's it's absolutely massive. When you start mistaking these things for pods of carp, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, now, the straits. The, the straits of Mackinac is is where that fish is. Yeah. Yeah. Because I remember talking to you about that, I think it was last year, um, when you got back, I was talking to you about it, and you, you were, I remember you telling me about just some, just some of those giant fish you see roaming around in there. Huge, huge. It's, they're on a little bit different schedule than the rest of the fish, you know what I mean? And, and the only reason I believe that more people haven't run into those Bigger. Nine, ten pound, eleven pound, twelve pound fish is because as a smallmouth bass angler, if you're roping into six, seven, and eight pound smallmouth bass, are you going to leave? No, no shot. <laughs> it's exactly right. Yeah, I, it's you're not fishing to that fish. Yep. That's that's all it is. You know what I mean? And when we started pushing outward and outward and thinking, okay, I need spawning habitat, but really close to deep water. Yep. Right? And then the plan is when the water temps are still very, very low, catching those fish staging on those edges. Yeah, because I would imagine those first ones are the, the the those big ones are the first ones to spawn. The very first, so you could go days without seeing a fish, and then all of a sudden there's a school of six or seven of them. The little pot of them come, just coming down the edge, man, you know. And then we found, you know, where those where those fish were and started targeting them. Um, Found that by accident, honestly, just yeah. continually going up and checking out new places and checking out spots. And, um, you know, the, the wilderness side of that is an incredible fishery. You don't see those truly, truly giant fish up there because those flats are such a long ways away from deep water. Yeah. Okay. And the habitat on that edge is just rock flats. I mean, you go through that area and you're like, this is insane. There's got to be smallmouth everywhere. Yeah. There's not. And now, mind you, you know, you know, Greg caught one up there that was eight and a half pounds. I caught one that was probably right in around there. Um uh, his was 24, 
with like a like a nineteen inch girth. Jeez, how? <laughs> you know, a big fish. Yeah, really big fish. Yeah. Um, th- there's some northern pike in there, and then we carp fish it. Just running the same program, same same bass stuff. Throwing it at carp, and that's the end of May into the first two weeks of June. Yep. Um, and then the UP stuff uh, further further up into Tequamnon, we do the musky smallmouth bass thing there. Yep. Um, the lower section of the Tequamnon below the lower falls run that section out to Lake Superior, and if the days are right, we'll fish to Calmdown Bay or Whitefish Bay. There's a bunch of flats out there with some hard edges that some really giant bass like to tool around through. Yeah. Um, so are those big rock flats up there, is that like that big flat shelf rock that you see in like Lake Erie kind of off the islands? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. It yeah. just It almost looks like sand, but you know like just because – it's all yeah. like it's all rock. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's just sand flats and rocks and rock edges and yep stuff like that. Lots of lots of boulders, uh, all scattered through there. Um, you know, we fish it in the fall, so we stick towards the edges in the springtime. Those fish are tooling around those rocks and trying to do their thing. Um, but in the fall, they're on the, the edges of the flats. But it drops off pretty hard, and we catch a few bass in the river, but by that time, they're mostly out in the lake. Uh, it's not the same fishery. That superior fishery is not anywhere near what the Lake Michigan Straits of Mackinac fishery is. Yep. You know, there's the fish are big. Those fish don't see near as many people either. They don't see, but there's not as many of them. Yep. You know, there's, uh, you know, you there's just not that many of them. It's just, you know, Lake Superior is not nearly as nutrient-rich as Lake Superior, as, as Lake Michigan. You know, they don't have the abundance of bait groceries and then the water temps stay so cold. Yeah. Compared to what Lake Michigan does. Yeah. So those those bass in Lake Michigan are just owning it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's uh, like I said, I've been doing that for over a decade now. Exploring stuff through there from the St. Mary's to the Tequamnon and is it is it crazy to stop and think about like how long you've been doing certain parts of like your fishing career? Like does it feel like yesterday was the first year you guys went up north? No, man, it it's no, it's I don't spend too much time thinking I mean, oh yeah, I've been doing it a while. It doesn't seem like that long. Yeah. No. It doesn't seem like that long at all. I mean it's just like I'm just getting going, man. There's so much water. Yeah. Like I, so much water. <laughs> it's it's crazy to think about, 
like in terms of like the sheer size of like the Great Lakes, like when we fish, like when we fish Lake St. Clair, you think like, wow, this is a big lake. Massive. And then you go to a place like like Erie or especially Superior where it it doesn't even compare. The massive man, it's 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 lifetimes, lifetimes of fishing, but you've only got six months to do it. Yeah. You know what I mean. Yeah. And everything ices up, and then we pack our bags and travel. You know. I head south. Head south. Yeah. So out of all of the places you've 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 been to fishing in the Great Lakes as far as um have you fished like Erie or Ontario or anything like that? All of them. Yeah. Which one's your favorite? Wilderness. Yeah. Yep. Wilderness standing out there on the on the end of Wagashans Island. That's sweet. It's like, you know, it, the the name's Wilderness but it isn't remote. Yeah. You can look back and you can see the bridge. Yep. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. But when you're out there, it feels like you are on a completely different planet. And the vastness of it. You know, it's... You know, it would take... It, I, there's no way I could every single day throughout the spring season that I could hit all of it. Yeah. I mean, it's... Yeah. You can't do it. Yeah, yeah. To me, the craziest part about all those different lakes in terms of fishing is how different every single one of them sets up as as a fishery. Yeah. From Michigan to Superior to Huron, pass through Lake St. Clair's, all sand and a little bit of weeds, and then you drop down into Erie, and that's all just big, giant shelf rock islands and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. It, 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 it's really incredible how they're all connected, but each one of them is so different. Yeah. Yeah, those glaciers did a hell of a job. Yeah, heck yeah. Clearing all that up, man. So yeah. you, you talked a little bit about, like, carp fishing, and I've talked about on the show who I wanted. Um, I've always wanted to do kind of like a carp episode, mm-hmm. but I've never really – I haven't really, like, found the person for it yet, but now you're sitting here. Uh-huh. And you are probably, not probably, you are the one person I know who probably knows more about those fish than any other person, probably within even mutual friends that knows about them. I got some time. I got some time with them. When did you, when did you first start like, oh, these are fun. I got to start, I got to target these. Well, a guy named Bob Cran took me out when I was 13 or 14 it taught me how to it's funny because he's actually a fishing client of mine now <laughs> and he's actually stroked me a check for push pulling him around for carp <laughs> it's yeah full um, circle bob cran uh put me on the bow of a maverick flats boat and man Taught me how to catch that fish. He opened up that door. I fell through it, dude. Fell through it hard. I mean, it was everything that I like to do in fishing, and that's hunt. Yeah. And that's 
looking for a fish, setting up the shot, taking a good shot, seeing the eat. Yeah. And that, that, that to me is it, right? Yeah. So, uh, I started going out, doing it on my own, back to the same 14-foot John boat that I had with a, with a shitty engine on the back of it. Um, I was walking and wading up on Morrow Pond through those islands because, you know, I, I didn't have a trolling motor or anything like that, so I, was, I couldn't get close to them. Yep. All right? So I started chasing them around, chasing them around, and having a good time with it. And I started guiding for smallmouth bass on the Kalamazoo River in 2015. The year the regulations changed, when they opened up catch and release for bass year round. Yep. I was running all these bass days, and on my own time off, you know, dude, I was rowing and unhooking a lot of bass. I I didn't want to go bass fishing. Yeah. So I was chasing carp. And then people started to ask me about it. They're like, well, I want to, I want to do that. <laughs> I'm like, you, you want to go carp fishing? They're like, yeah. They said, okay. So I started push-pulling. And I know it was good. Yeah. It was, it was good, man. That, you know, before the dam... I was getting people 100 to 125 shots a day at fish, and they were catching a half a dozen and seeing and interacting with that fish. You it, know what I mean? It, it totally gives you a gigantic, gigantic new respect for the common carp. Because when I first, when I was like, a, I'd been working here for a year, and Sean had asked me, if I'd ever tried it or if I wanted to go do it. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like go catch a carp on a fly rod. Yeah. And he took me out and we boated, I think like nine fish or something. And it was probably one of the most fun days of fishing I've ever had in my life. The, the frustration you get from them, the laughs you get from them, just watching them the way they go about their day is like, it's absolutely incredible. Once you, get to watch something like that yeah yeah it is it is it's a uh it's a quirky fish man it's got some serious quirks to it that a lot of people have a hard time getting over you know it's for one it's not honest you know it can it can look happy the fish can look happy and it can be actively feeding and then you can present it something and then it'll snub it them like that's not fair right? <laughs> right uh then and then in the same time man they can look like they're zombied out on the bottom chilling out not moving at all you put something in front of them and you can watch them come to life and then swim over and just eat it yep you know the, the eyesight's the biggest thing beating that eyesight you beat the eyesight you're good Yep. You're golden. You know, carp don't actually have tongues. Right. 
Okay. So they use their eyes, man, to, is that edible, is it not, you know, and then if they take it all the way back into their crushers and then still can't crush it, maybe they'll spit it out, maybe they won't, maybe they'll just eat it. You don't know. Mm-hmm. So you just got to beat their eyes, man, and it's fluorocarbon. I have two patterns that I cast for carp, two. That's it. <laughs> You know, uh, in a couple of weighted and unweighted versions. Yep. Um, super generic. It's the pattern from the early 90s or maybe the late 80s. It's called the Jim Teeny Egg Sucking Leech. That's it. Yep. Now, they'll eat a whole bunch of other stuff, right? Yeah. I found something they eat almost every time it's in front of it me. looks like so many different things yeah dude it doesn't look like anything a little bit of color on the head of that thing to you know get their attention they can see it most of them are like okay i'll eat that oh that looks good yeah <laughs> yeah so it's you know it's beating the eyesight and then being quiet they are one of probably the most skittish skittish fish i've ever i've ever went after yeah 100 percent, man yep 100 percent. yeah it's, it's it's almost like i mean like correct me if i'm wrong because you you have more experience in this but i think it's like our northern version of red fishing no man no i you know carp carp are just all on their own yeah. Carp or carp. They Can't. fight a lot like a redfish. They fight like that, but the approach is is not. I mean, I've seen redfish that would eat a block of wood. Yeah. You know, no carp and no no carp would ever do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's the the cast, and then the cast is the big deal. You know, making a good shot. There's sometimes where that fly needs to be two inches in front of that fish's face. Yeah. And there's nothing more technical that you could do in Michigan. Nothing. Yep. Nothing more technical. Uh, if you have to have a good cast. You know, yeah. If it lands too hard, if it lands wrong, if you jump it, ain't nothing going to happen. Yep. You know, and people get to see that. And then you get to work with them on their approach, you know, and it usually I can get them there, you know, without too much work. Yeah. You know, um, never run a blank day on a carp day. Never. That's awesome. Yeah. Yep. It, whether you fish for them before or not, I mean, it's, you know, even after th- this whole damn thing, I'm still able to go out and get like 25 or 30 good shots at fish. Yeah. Catch one or two. Yep. You know. Now, have you So all of those fish that did come out of Morrow Pond. Yeah. Do you do you find like after that whole ordeal happened, did you find you were getting more shots on the river at carp than before? Oh yeah, they were everywhere for a while. Like yeah. you, you could barely strip a streamer through a, a 
area and not accidentally just hook one. No. There were so many, you know, and then those dissipated pretty quickly. Down to Lake Allegan. Down to Lake Allegan where the water warmed up. They died. And then they were starting to, like, box net them out of there. Yeah. Hundreds of thousands of fish. You know, it's just... Yeah, it was... was See, that's what's crazy to me is you hear all the news about all the stuff that happened to the river, but, like, that kind of stuff was never... That kind of stuff was never broadcasted, really. That it did end up causing no. that much damage. It, 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 like, it was hard enough for people to take notice of the original... Of the original event. Yeah. Like, that was hard enough getting people like, hey, this is something that's not good. Yeah. That took some work. Yeah. To get to that point. You know, um, and even all the work that we we did do. I mean, I shared every post I saw on it on Facebook, Instagram, wherever. I mean, you were a big kind of proponent of you. Pretty much, you and a couple others really spearheaded the whole boosting awareness thing. Yeah, yeah. A guy named Ryan Baker. Yep. Um, he, he approached me, got a hold of me on the phone, and was like, "Hey." News Channel 3 is here. Can, can we get them out looking at stuff? And then uh, kind of got the ball rolling with that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly what, what needed to happen because, I mean, even even still, like Channel 3 only covers up to Allegan and down to St. Joe, really. Yeah. I mean, back home where I'm from, every, every time I'd go home, everybody would ask me, like, what do you keep posting about the river for? And it's just like, because it's still going on. Yeah, it's because it's it's still. Just, we're, we're just used to jumping to the next thing so quickly, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's, what, I mean, the list goes on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it's still very much a it's still very much a thing. Um, you know the bass numbers are way down. Um. You know, this year I noticed more so than any other year um, the pressure put on the fish. In terms of anglers or? Yeah. There's not that many of us. They're just, we, we know what we're doing. Yeah. You know, the, the, the handful of us that go through and fish that stuff. But, uh, dude, I run a lot of days. Oh, yeah. A lot of days. Yeah, and I started noticing, like, you know, like, my regular program wasn't filling the day. Yep. You know what I mean? So then I was starting to fall back on some old shit. You know what I mean? And yeah. And I started getting, like, really nitty-gritty about it rather than, you know, instead of just ro- ro- back rolling down and hitting timber... And the occasional rock pile and then catching your fish. You know, I was swinging the boat up and around into a back eddy and going to fire it back into there. Yep. Them pulling our fish out of those really tight spots that I had to do a lot more work to get into. Um, I started, uh, I was still running into the same fish though. I mean, 
two to three of those 20-inch fish, those 18 to 20-inch fish. I was still running, you know, yep. into plenty of those. But my medium-sized fish... It's the smaller ones that really get hurt. Yeah. Because yeah. those, those fish haven't been around as long to know how to handle changes like that. Yeah, big time. This year, saw a ton of small bass. Which is huge. That's huge. big. Tons. I mean, you know, uh, you're still one of my best big fish flies on the Kalamazoo River. Still a clouser. Yep. Yeah, I mean, still. Um, if you tie up one that's pretty small, though, you know, you're going to have... Uh, uh, during the dog days of summer, I throw some smaller clouser patterns to imitate some of them skip, skip jacks. Yep. Right. And you'll have like a dozen of those little guys chasing it up. Yep. It's good to see. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, it was, it's, it's bouncing back beautifully. Yeah. You know, those fish are going to. I stopped in a hole just the other day checking to see if some big fish hadn't dropped into there, and it was stacked full of those little fish. Yep. You know, it was, it was good. Um, so later in the season, I started bouncing back and forth between my normal downtown section and then the nature center. Yep. And then flip-flopping it. Because I got two full day fisheries there between the nature center or just the downtown section. So I'd run maybe two days down through the nature center, a day through downtown. And just keep flip-flopping it. Not to keep beating up on the... Yeah. The one that calls that one log home. Yeah. You know. So. But it was, it was a great season, man. Great, um, hung some big fish. You know, it's nice that those fish hung on through all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, it, 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 it honestly is pretty insane to think how quickly those fish did bounce back. Because it was a mess there for all, almost an, a whole entire year. A whole season, yeah. The whole season, the water quality was not great. Bass are tough, man. They're so tough. I mean, they, the extreme water temperatures that they can handle. Yeah. Um, super low oxygen. I, they're tough, man. Um, Matt Diana. I yeah. Remember, I remember one year uh, I reached out to him. And I was starting to get kind of worried, dude. The Kalamazoo was flowing like mid-80s. Like, it's pretty warm. Fishing was nuts. It was insane. The fish were going nuts. There was a ton of water in the river, too. So I felt it wasn't super low water, so I was, I was fine about that. But I, I reached out to him because I was like, I wonder what the threshold is for smallmouth bass. Yeah. You know, and he's like, oh, gosh. He goes, yeah, like 90 degrees. <laughs> you know what I mean? If it hits, like, 90, then maybe... That's be pretty stressed out. Yeah. But 80s, have fun. You know, it's just, and then they, it, and then they freeze. And then they freeze. Yeah. You know, it's, it's such a tough fish. They're, they're 
so remarkable. Yeah. Whether you're, I mean, because we fished, I had a, we had a tournament in Alabama and that water temp was 92. Yeah. And I was just like, how could they, how could they even live? That is like human body temperature. Yeah. That you're yeah. fishing. It's, it's, yeah. It's, there's, they're super tough, man. And they have the, they have the availability to them to eat anything. Oh Yeah. I mean, they can root through the root through and grab it off the bottom. They can bust it on top. They can. I, I mean, there is not many limitations in their diet. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, and I watched it happen on the Kalamazoo firsthand with them immediately switching over from shiners to white suckers. There must have been a huge biomass of white suckers that blew through the dam as well. You, know, you think of, yeah, your pike, yeah, you think of your carp, but a whole lot of other species of fish blew through there. Tons of crappies. Yep. Tons of crappies. And tons of these white suckers. And I started seeing them all over the place on the gravel flats and everything like that. Changed up a couple patterns. Started banging bass hard. Yeah. Really hard. Yeah. Um, so those fish made that transition almost. Well, they, they did it seamlessly. They survived. Yeah. You know, keying in on a more, uh, because that shiner population. Got hit hard. That is not a hardy fish. No. No. That cannot handle that kind of stress, man. With the water temperatures and then the the. the the actual sediment flowing through the water, you know, the turbidity was super high. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. It, it it blows my mind how some certain species that all live in the same area can be so hardy like the smallmouth. And then at the complete opposite end, those shiners will get wiped out at the snap of a finger almost, it seems like. Yeah. Man, they all got their limits. Yeah. So, gearing up for, I mean, what do those, any kind of like river smallmouth, what do they, where do they start to head, like when the temps start dropping and stuff like that? Obviously, they, like first, what, end of September, beginning of October, they'll start putting on their feed bags and is that when they start kind of making their push to their winter holes or when kind of give me a rundown on like when their transition from summer to fall to winter happens. So below the dams, you're going to have all those fish push out to the big lake for the most part. I'm sure a few fish will hang around, but the majority of those fish will push out and in the sections in river sections that are cut off, like the middle section of the Kalamazoo where you have dams on either end. And that's where those fish... They're stuck there. That's where they call home, and that's, you know, that's where we choose to bass fish. Yep. Um, those fish spend a lot of time hunting around gravel, and then they'll start pushing off into the deeper, slower sections 
of the river, and that's basically that's where they're going to call home. Okay. For the rest of the winter. Um, there's like five really good areas that, uh, there's five really good areas that those fish will hold on to. And the one thing they all have in common as well is that they're actually pretty close to a big flat. Mm-hmm. So when you do have those warm ups and things like that, those fish will kind of drift back onto the flat. Yep. And then kind of push back up into you know when the cold hits again. Yeah. You know, uh, and they just do their their winter time thing. You know, they slow way down the Kalamazoo. I've never seen it freeze in my life. Ever. Yeah. So. Uh, a lot has to do with the fact that the Morrow Dam is a bottom release dam. So that water is going to be a little bit warmer than what would be coming over the spillway. Yep. Um, and then that's, that's where the first thing in the springtime, man, the first warm up in the springtime right back to those same areas um dredging those fish up you know deep yeah yep and then they push off from there yeah 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 there's their spawn on the kalamazoo is you know the second week in june yep give or take you know, and they have their certain areas that they, uh, that's, that's my worst fishing. That time of year. That time of year. That's my worst. I don't fish to bedded fish. Yeah. Um, I can't, like back to, yeah, I run a lot of days, man. I can't go and beat up on the same bedded fish day in and day no. out. And the, the, this science is well documented on that's not good. Yeah. Yeah. That's not good to keep ripping them off their beds. Let them do their thing and let them let them do their uh, let let them do it undisturbed. That's one thing I've always like. I mean, as like a tournament anger, I've that always I get super conflicted with that kind of stuff because it, it's probably not as bad for catch and weigh tournaments, and then you release them at the launch or whatever. Which I mean, I mean, it still is. You're taking them away from their bed. But to the yeah. same time, like MLF catch weight release, mm-hmm. those dudes are one hundred percent catching the same fish two or three times. Yes. I mean, right on camera. You can see it and they all show you have to they share their picture, their scorecard at the end of the day, and you'll see one guy's got five point one, five point one. Oh, he caught like four and a half, and then he went back five point one. That 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 to me is just I think that tournament trail needs to have different rules for tournaments during that time of year for smallmouth. Well, for largemouth I think it's I think it's different because they won't go right back to their bed and eat right again like a smallmouth would. Right. And I think in any circumstance pulling a fish off of its bed opens the bed up to predation. Yeah. Mhm. And 
if a fish is caught enough off of the same bed, it'll quit eating anything that comes onto its bed. Yeah, and then you have the predation again. And then you have the predation again. So I, th- I think that for even any moment, at any time, you pull that fish off of its bed. You're just... It's detrimental. Period. Yeah. Like, there's there's no good way to pull a fish off its bed. Yeah. And even if it is a boat parked right over top of it, it takes a picture of it and then releases it right back onto its bed. It's a lot of stress in an already very stressful time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. And, uh, I mean, I, I, I give a shit about them. Yeah. I, I care about them. I yeah. want them to be good. I want them to be okay. I want them to, you know, do their thing. And, so my program is, I run just my regular program, man, uh, going off the basis that not every single fish is on the exact same schedule. Yep. Not every, they don't exactly spawn all at the exact same time. So I just keep running the program and we catch our fish, but it's, it's tough. It can be a lot tougher. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. So what else do you have planned for the rest of the year? I know obviously you've got your place down in Florida. Um, kind of give a little rundown of what you've been doing to kind of help with what's been going on to our salty neighbors to the south. Yeah, Hurricane Ian, uh, the our area took a direct hit. Um, basically the entire southwest part of Florida got crushed by a Category 5 hurricane. Um, and disrupted and ended lots of lives. Yeah. So we, uh, our personal and professional lives fared better than some, not as good as others. Um, We've taken the time with captains for clean water to uh, make the run down uh, through the help of DNR Sports. Everybody here. Um, and got a bunch of relief items down to people who uh, seriously needed it. Um, the amount of infrastructure destroyed, people displaced... Uh, is is a little overwhelming to be there uh, in person to see it. Uh, there's something else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was actually working down in Louisiana and got to witness, I guess, experience Katrina back in 05. Um Yeah, wasn't anything like this. This was just uh, 13, thir- 13 straight hours of uh, 180 mile an hour winds. It's like, without being somewhere that's having that going on, you can't even, like, 
you can't even begin to comprehend what that no. feels like or does. No. No, it's uh it's hard. Um a lot of people are just working on picking up the pieces, man. It's it's kind of hard. It's it, like where do you start? Where where do you uh I mean everything's trashed. Everything. Yeah. You know, uh you know, we were a week and a half into it. You know, we were in a community in Lemon Bay. They were still pulling bodies out of the trailers. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's going to take a long time. And, and no matter what happens, there's always going to be this defining, that'll be a, a defining moment in its in the timeline. Uh, there'll always be before Ian and after. Yeah. Yeah, it will never come back the same. You know, how it's going to come back, I I have no idea. Yeah. You know, it's those people are going to uh you know, keep grinding, keep keep working on picking up the pieces. We'll be down in a couple more weeks to kinda of get things going and continue uh, like our cleanup and helping our neighbors. Yeah. Um our our neighbors lost everything. Everything. Um so Hopefully, hopefully, uh, I'm still going to be running trips. Um, the fishing should be good. Yeah. Yeah. Those fish are all stirred up. Who knows what blew in, man? Yeah. Yeah, who knows what blew in? Um, uh, traditionally, the fishing's usually pretty good after a hurricane. You know, uh, not immediately after. Yeah. But in the following months, the fishing can be pretty incredible and there's not a lot of people you know so it'll be interesting to see i i mean my guide program that i have down there is mostly based on people traveling there yep you know uh, a lot of that vacation stuff got wiped off the map yeah. So uh it'll it'll just be interesting to see how this season shakes out. You know what I mean? We get down there, fish, start putting the days together, start putting the pieces back together. You know. Uh but people are gonna need help for a long time. Yeah. Down there. Yeah. Yeah. So so when you when you head down there? Usually after gun season, you know, November 15th, I'll, um, I'll head down sometime between that and Thanksgiving. Okay. And yeah. And then are you, are you in court taking down another trailer load of stuff with you when you go? Supplies and stuff like that? Is yeah, there like and a, the rest of our stuff. Yeah. Yeah, our seasonal stuff that we have to carry with us. Yep. Um, which... Is a lot more than usual. Usual because 
like I said, we took a personal and professional hit too. So there's some stuff that we're going to have to get down and um, redo. Yeah. You know, but that's, that's part of it, man. That's the way it goes sometimes. Yeah. It's shitty, but. <laughs> it is, but, I mean, it's Florida. Man, it's the Gulf of Mexico, dude. They happen every year. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just, are you going to get it? And if you are, how bad? Yeah. You know, so this one was bad. Um, it just, the, uh, you know, the Cuyacosa, Sanibel, Boca Grande, those barrier islands, it'll be interesting to see how those things come back, even if they do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um because ultimately what will happen is those people, you know, may be able to rebuild or maybe financially could, but they would never be able to have it insured. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, that's the you know, serious thing. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're about out of time here for this episode. Um so kind of give everybody who's listening kind of a rundown of what you got leading up until um, till you head back down to Florida. Um, are you still running trips? Are you Are you booked up for the rest of October into before you leave or kind of when are you shutting things down, packing up and getting ready to go? I, land, I, I ran my last days this week. Um, I'm taking a, a personal day tomorrow. I'm going to St. Clair to fish with a dear friend of mine, Dave Hurley. There you go. Um, and then it's, it's bull hunting and it's chasing whitetails, uh, until, you know, I have my three or four down that I, that I need for the year. Yeah. Um, it just kind of, you know, it takes some time gearing down all the freshwater stuff and then putting all the, you know, putting all saltwater stuff together making sure that I have everything that I need. Um, yeah, especially this year with having to take down more and yep. just taking my time with that so we aren't running out the door with our asses on fire. Yeah. You know? <laughs> That's it, man. Just, you know, enjoying this uh, this Michigan fall. Yeah. You know, it's 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 not even Halloween. It seems like it's almost over. I know. It feels like it just started and early now, this year. Yeah. Early. Now the rut's here. The deer are gonna be chasing. Yeah. This weekend should be phenomenal. Um probably. I expect to see your two good ones like you get every year. I've had I've had it's been tough, man. <laughs> it's been tough. I It's I, been a weird year for Whitetail. Well, no, it's just been it's just been tough. Yeah. It just you know neighbors stuff and it's been tough, man. <laughs> it's just been tough, dude. I yep. I'm having a hard time sitting in that tree like thinking that one's going to come out. That that big one's gonna come out during the daylight yeah you know they need to be 
kind of left alone and uninterrupted and approached pretty carefully. And uh, we've had to track some deer through the farm, which is fine, man. I'm, I'm all about, you know, being neighborly, you know, help out the dude who just shot his whitetail and, you know, uh, but, you know, going tracking through the farm and uh, yeah, that, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. But hope so, man. Grind it out. Oh, yeah. You'll get it. Anything else you want to add before we get out of here? No, man. Appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on. It was I thoroughly enjoy every minute of conversation I have with you. <laughs> Good, man. Fishing Good. with you a couple of weeks ago, that was one of the coolest days fishing I've ever had. Did you learn anything? So much more than you'll ever know. <laughs> Good. Good. It's a, it's a cool place to... become an angler it really is it's as far as fly fishing goes that's the kalamazoo's got my roots now yeah whether it's smallmouth carp or the occasional melon head you find in there occasionally occasionally yep yeah but yeah so that's all the time we've got this week we're gonna get on out of here um for all you guys listening thank you guys so much um, rate the podcast and wherever you guys listen to Spotify, Apple podcasts, Stitcher, wherever. Um, don't forget to check out our website. Um, we're still running that bow season sale, uh, 10% off your order through November 15th. Just use code bow season, B O W S Z N. Um, so check that out get it, get yourself a sweatshirt, get yourself a hat. Um, yeah. Tell your friends, share the podcast. Um, Anybody who loves the outdoors, I think, would enjoy this show. Um, I have a blast doing it, and you guys listening to it helps me keep doing it. And I just enjoy listening to all your guys' feedback and so much. So message us if you've got something you want to hear us talk about. Um, If you want to fish with John, whether it's down in Florida or up here next year, message him on Instagram or do you do stuff on Facebook? Oh yeah, hundred percent. New and, and the greener, the newer, the better. Yeah. 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 Love, love taking out new people. Love teaching. Heck yeah! You can find him on all the socials. It's just Kalamazoo River Guide. That's me. There you go. And with that, thank you guys for listening, and we'll catch you guys next week. <laughs>